it is, it's really easy sometimes to, to jump to the wrong conclusion. You ever notice that? To, to get the wrong idea, had a little bit of information, you get the wrong idea, and you, and you jump to the wrong conclusion. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories about somebody jumping to a, to a bad conclusion. In the, for a few years before we took off and went to seminary, uh, Rachel started working for one of our friends, a gal named Jody, uh, who sold Aflac insurance. And then after I finished grad school the first time, even though I was still teaching, I helped Jody. Chris and Jody were two of our best friends. And so we were both working uh, part-time for Jody. And somebody in Aflac in Kansas got this account, this great big bank with lots and lots of locations. And um, and way too many for one person to, to enroll everybody. So, so we loaded up and we were sent to different places around the state to enroll people in this insurance. And, and Jody and I and some other ones went to where the home office was, Junction City, Kansas. And Jody and I got uh, sent to this enrollment at this, this little location. And there was, a, there was a Cracker Barrel restaurant real close. It was lunchtime. So we went over at, to eat lunch before coming back and doing more enrollments in the afternoon. And I walked in and Jody, Jody and Chris were expecting their first baby and she was like 8.5 months pregnant. Like she was largely visibly pregnant. And we just happened to get a waitress in Junction City that I knew. His, I went to, to school, to high school with this gal's son and we didn't know each other well, but it was kind of like, oh, how are you? And she sees Jody and she says, oh, is this your wife? And I said, no, 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 we're not married. And she went, oh, well, I mean, is this your first baby? And I said, no, no, the baby's not mine either. And she went, you know what? This whole thing is none of my business. Just forget I said anything. And she gave us, she sent us a different waitress. She was gone. I never saw her again. Um, it is easy to get it's almost more dangerous when you have a little bit of information than when you have no information at all. And I think that's part of the reason Jesus told the parable that he is going to tell us today, that we're going to study today. Because it's easy to get a little bit of information, even when it comes to, to Christianity and and to sort of run in a direction that, that the Lord never wanted us to run in. We can have a little bit of information from um, one of Paul's letters, and, and before long, you know, we're teaching people they can't braid their hair. Uh, I don't have a problem with that personally, myself. Or, you know, that, that you can't go to movies. Or, on the other hand, we can have this idea that since, well, since Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, then it doesn't matter what I do. See, a little bit of information can take you in a wrong direction. Jesus knew that. And he doesn't want the disciples to get the wrong idea about what he's been teaching. Where we dive into the book of Matthew today, Someone has just walked away from Jesus and the disciples. We usually call him the rich young ruler. This young, wealthy mover and shaker came to Jesus, and Jesus told this guy, so you give away all that you own, sell all your possessions, give all the money to the poor, 
and then come follow me. And that guy walked away all tore up inside because he knew he was lacking what it took to get to eternal life. He knew Jesus had what he was lacking, but he could not pull the trigger on that. And, and it's not that Jesus was teaching that giving away everything you own is a requirement for salvation. It's not. We talked about that last week some. He just kind of used this rich young ruler as an object lesson for, their, for, for barriers that keep people from, from Jesus, from understanding their need. So that guy is just walking away and something dawns on Peter. The apostle Peter says, well, Lord, we did give away everything. We left everything to follow you. And they ask, so what do we get out of this deal? And Jesus, this is the last thing Jesus said before we start today. Jesus, make sure the disciples know, listen, whatever you give away on earth in the name of following me, you are going to get back exponentially more than you could ever give away. And if we zoom out a little further and look at the bigger context, he's just, in chapter 18, he taught about what greatness in the kingdom looks like, what it looks like to be good at following Jesus. But Jesus does not want his disciples to get the wrong idea about like how God keeps score for how we follow him. He doesn't want us to get the wrong idea about what greatness in the kingdom of heaven is going to look like and the wrong idea about who gets rewarded what. So he stops. And in one of his last lessons to the disciples, before he goes up the hill into Jerusalem in the last week of his life, he tells this parable. It's usually called the parable of the the workers in the field, but we're going to call it the parable of the really generous boss. Let's read that together. I'm going to, it's kind of an unfortunate chapter break. Really, the last verse of Matthew chapter 19 goes with today's parable. So we're going to start there. So he's just taught the disciples, yes, you guys are going to get paid back exponentially for whatever you gave away. But, Jesus says in verse 30, many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, the standard wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace And to those, the vineyard owner said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will pay you. And so they went. And again, the landowner went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? In verse seven, they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But the landowner answered and said to one of them, friend, I'm not doing, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give this last man the same as, you, as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? And the story's over and then Jesus adds this again. So, the last shall be first and the first last. Click me, there we go. All right, that story is about, it's, it's a parable, which means it's a made-up story told to teach real lessons. And, and, and the story's about a, a vineyard owner, a land owner, who owned what apparently is a pretty good-sized vineyard, and at some time of the year, he needed extra workers. The other characters in the story are, are guys we would call day laborers. Very common in the in first century Israel and most cultures in the history of the world. Here's the way life worked for the day laborer. Um, so these are guys, they're on the very bottom rung of the workforce. And they, they not only are not landowners, they're not business owners, but they also don't have like a steady job from someone who is a landowner or a business owner. So here's what you do if you don't have a job in first century Israel. You go to the center of town, the marketplace, and you just hang out there. And somebody who does have a business or owns land that needs more work, that's where they would come to find people who wanted to work. Right? So that's these guys. So I think we can get the wrong idea about them by some of the English words that show up in some of our translations. Um, not on the, the verses that are on the screen right now, but your Bibles might say that, that they were standing around idle. And that we can kind of come away with the picture of like these guys are lazy or something like that. That's not at all true. They want to work or they wouldn't be there. If they didn't want to work, they'd have just stayed home. They come to the marketplace because that's where people who want to work go. But boy, would that be a rough life. You stand around all day. It's basically like a giant neon sign that says unemployed. And every day, if nobody hires you, presumably most day laborers were still married. They still had families. Imagine going home and there's your wife, hopeful. Did you get any work today? In those days where you had to say, no, honey, I'm sorry. So it was a, there were no strangers to, to shame, inadequacy. Okay, these are the, the other main characters in this passage. Well, for them in this story, today would be a, a good day. Because there's a local vineyard owner who's going to show up and hire five different batches of workers. There's some differences in our English translations, but um, notice 
This is about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven's like a landowner who went out early in the morning. The other, the translation I read from a minute ago called this six o'clock in the morning. The Jewish um, workday began at 6 a.m. Early in the morning is like saying zero hour, and that's 6 a.m. So the guys, they're standing out there waiting at the beginning of the day. The guy, the vineyard owner comes and he hires a batch of workers right at the start of the day, 6 a.m. And they agree to the standard wage, which is one denarius. This is a fair wage, a good wage. The standard was set actually by the Roman army because Roman soldiers received a denarius a day. And very happily, I'm sure, these guys agree and they set out to work the vineyard. At about, you know, that same thing replays itself four more times. When it was about nine o'clock or the third hour, the landowner shows up again. He hires more guys. Everything goes down pretty much exactly the same way, except they don't come to a specific agreement on wages. The landowner just says, you go out and work and, I, and I'll give you what's right at the end of the day. And they go to work. He doesn't say how much he's going to pay him. He just says, I'll treat you right. These guys are in no position to negotiate. I know you might be thinking, I'm never taking a job that I don't, they don't tell me what I'm going to get paid. But something is better than nothing. And the workday is 25% done already. And then he's just going to hire somebody else if he doesn't hire me. So they say, sure, I'll, whatever, I'll go. Two more, two more times, three more times. Noon, he comes back. Three o'clock, he comes back. At five o'clock in the afternoon, he hires his last batch of workers. The other translation I read from called that the 11th hour. The, the Jewish workday was 12 hours. And these guys get hired with only one hour left in the workday. And Jesus really highlights the shame of these, these poor guys that are still standing there. Here's how he does it. This is interesting to me. He sees these guys standing around and he says to them, why are you standing here all day without work? That sounds like the dumbest question anybody's ever asked. What do you, what do you mean, why am I standing here without work? I, you want to hear me say it? I don't have a job. I mean, I was going to invent Amazon.com, but the internet hasn't been invented yet. So, right, you want to hear me say it? I don't have any work. Because no one hired us. And the landowner says, well, you go to work in my vineyard too. And they're all delighted. And they all go to work. And that's like act one closes. Act two is pay time, which was not very long after this. In ancient Israel, according to the law, every day was payday. Because in the book of Leviticus, uh, 19.13, the second half of that verse says this, talking to business owners or, or land owners, you must not withhold the wages of the hired laborer overnight until morning. You got to pay your workers every day. That's the way it worked. Okay, they didn't do direct deposit back in the day. So, because that's the law, and this was a, a good, a law-abiding landowner, get to the end of the day, and he tells his 
like vineyard manager, his, the foreman of his crew, arrange all, line up all the guys. I'm going to come out and pay them. But he says, I want you to arrange them in reverse order from when they were hired. So if he's going to stand over here and pay guys, the, the guys who were hired at 5 p.m. are here. Behind them, the 3 o'clock crew. Behind them, the noon crew and the 9 o'clock crew. And, and at the end of the line was the guys that had been there all day that, that were hired at 6 a.m. Now, do you catch the order they're standing in? What did Jesus say this parable is going to be about? He said it at the beginning and he said it at the end. What was it? He said the last are going to be first, and the first are going to be last. That's what, whatever this story is about, it's about this. Because he tells the beginning, it tells the end, what he just showed us here, the last or first, the first or last. So the boss comes out, they're arranged in that order, he starts with the guys, they've only been there an hour, and in fact, I don't know where, how far it is from the center of town out to the vineyard, but if they get hired at five and the whistle blows at six, they hoofed it pretty good to work at all. And they get there and he, and he opens his little money box or whatever it is, and he hands to those guys who were hired at five o'clock one denarius each. And they had to be pumped. But they, they wouldn't have been the only ones. Because imagine, if you've been working three hours, six hours, nine hours, 12 hours, and you just see these guys that just worked less than an hour, they got a whole day's wage. What are you starting to think? Like, we just hit the jackpot. This guy doesn't pay one denarius a day. This guy pays one denarius an hour. This is awesome. But what happens? He goes through each group and everyone who worked, no matter how long they worked, got the same denarius, a day's wage. And the guys that are at the end of the line that were hired first, they had a complaint I think many of us would have. Verses 10 through 12, and, and when those hired first, so these are the guys clear at the end of the line, they thought they would receive more than the one denarius those guys got. But each one also received the standard wage, one denarius. When they received it, so they're holding their coin, they began to complain against the landowner saying, these last fellows who only worked one hour, you've made them equal to us. We've been here all day. It was hot when we were working. These guys, they didn't even show up till it was already cool. They hardly worked at all. And you've made them equal to us. That's not what? It's not fair. That's their complaint. Doesn't seem fair, does it? The landowner answers their complaint the end of the parable, verses 13 through 15. He speaks very kindly to them, by the way. He tells them kindly first. He just tells them, I have not been unfair to you. 
When I met you in the marketplace, we had an agreement. What was that agreement? I would hire you. I would pay you one denarius. You were thrilled. I was happy. It was great. I just made good on the deal we made that we knew was fair. So your problem is not that I'm not being fair because I have not been unfair. Then he reasons with them next. My generosity to these guys does not negate my fairness to you. He reminds them that all this stuff is his. Why can't I do what I want with my vineyard and my denarii as long as I don't cheat or steal or defraud anybody, as long as I'm lawful, can't I do what I want with what is, with what is mine? And then he gets to the, really the heart of the matter. In verse 15, he, he asks them a question. The landowner wants those guys who were hired first to ask themselves because that's where they're going to find their real problem. Right here he says, or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? What's the answer to that question? Are they envious because he is generous? Yes. Yes. Here's how you know. If he had, owned, if he had stopped hiring after he hired these guys, you come work 12 hours, I'll give you a denarius. Didn't hire anybody else. When it came time, the end of the day to be paid, and they all got the exact same denarius, would any of them think poorly of this landowner? No. They'd think he was great. Thank you for hiring me. Just come pick me up tomorrow. We'll do it again. The only reason they have a problem is because he hired these other guys that didn't work as long as they did. And suddenly, I don't feel so good about the boss anymore. Why? Why? What the landowner wants them to understand is you would feel better not if I gave you more. I gave you what was fair and right and what we agreed upon. You would feel better if I gave them less. Why would you feel better if I gave them less and gave you the same amount, why would you feel better? Do you know the answer to that question? I'll give you a hint. I say it all the time. They would feel better. You know why? Because it feels better, say it with me, to feel better. It feels better to feel better. To feel superior. Here's guys that are day laborers. They live with, with the shame and inadequacy of their station in life. No, they just weren't born into a family that has land that their dad didn't own a business. It's just the station they are in. They always feel low. They always feel the worst. And finally today we line up in this line. It's my chance to feel better. And you stole that from me with all your stupid generosity. Boy, is that easy to fall into that trap. Why is it you'd feel better if 
that boy got worse grades than he gets or got a worse test score than he got or if that girl plays le- played less than she does or if that woman got less recognition than she gets if that guy made less money than he does why would I feel better? And sometimes we would. Because it feels better to feel better and it feels worse to feel worse. That's the story. It's the whole parable. It just ends right there. And then Jesus says, I want to let you know, last will be first, first will be last. What are we supposed to learn from that? Well, here's what we're not supposed to learn. We're not supposed to learn how to treat people on the job from this parable. You know how I know? I mean, this is not best business practices. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to tell you a story about how to treat people at work. What did he say he was telling us a story about? The kingdom of heaven is like. This has something to do with eternal life. What are we supposed to learn about eternal life and the last being first and the first being last from this parable. Four things. I'm going to pull four lessons out of this parable that we can take home today. First one is this. And I think this is like overwhelmingly the main point. There will be an overwhelming sense of equality in eternal life. Life in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. In this story that Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a story about eternal life. The kingdom of heaven is like everybody received the same reward, right? That's the main point. Now, during the workday, different people, different guys in the line started to get different feelings about what they deserved about their own superiority, who was better, who was worse, who earned more, who made more, who should get more. And I think the reason they start to get those feelings is because they forget where they've come from. Because here's the truth about all these day laborers who only worked one day. That morning, when that whole line of guys, when they woke up and their feet hit the ground, they were all extremely like in the same boat. They were all pretty kind of desperate, helpless, jobless, hopeless. And they went all to the same spot in the center of town and stood there and waited and hoped for somebody to like come rescue them, throw them a lifeline. Give a dog a bone. And along comes this landowner. And he gives them, he does for them what they can't do for themselves. He gives them a job. He gives them some sustenance. He gives them a purpose. Now, along the way, they start looking around. I work harder than that guy. I've worked longer than that guy. And so when the when the guys who were hired first start to complain to the landowner, thinking we deserve more, the landowner could have said something like this. You what? You deserve what? I, 
I could have left my vineyard and walked in the other direction to, the, to a village over there and hired guys. You never even would have seen me. You know, I could have come to that place. I could have hired that group first, that group second. I could have hired you guys last. You're mad because you feel like those guys that were hired last got more than they deserve. But here's the truth. They're not the only ones who got more than they deserve. You did too. And at the end, at the end of our lives, the end of this day, the last are first and the first are last and they all get what? The same thing. God has promised those who come to faith in Jesus Christ are going to receive at the end of their lives something far greater than one denarius. We're going to get eternal life. Which means we are all going to be made perfect. And we're going to be placed into a world that has been remade perfect. And we're going to be surrounded by people who are also perfect. And there's going to be no pain. And there's going to be no hurts. And there's going to be no cheating and no stealing and no lying. There's going to be no sin. There's not going to be no desire to sin. And we're going to get all that for eternity. We're all going to get perfection for eternity. And there's not going to be one single individual save Jesus himself who actually deserves to be there. None of us will have earned it. We'll be rescued merely because Jesus rescued us. Now, will there be eternal rewards? Yes. The Bible very clearly teaches that we will be judged based on what we do for God on earth and some people will receive some rewards that other people do not get. I do not know what they look like. I do not know how that goes down. I do not know if sometimes they're called crowns. I do not know if we will get those rewards only to give them back to Jesus like, I don't deserve any of this. I don't know if we'll keep them for all of eternity. I don't know what any of that looks like, but here's what I know. Because I paid attention at least one day in upper level math. Infinity plus something else still equals what? Infinity. It's hard to improve on eternal perfection, right? So, whatever eternal rewards I get, that just goes on top of perfection forever. Which will make the rewards seem kind of small when compared to the reward, which is being there. And here's something else I know. Because everyone will be perfected, there will be nobody stacking up their eternal rewards, walking around like, yeah, you guys notice what I got? Me seeing all this? There's going to be none of that. And I also know, because we'll all be perfected, I won't look at your rewards. I will not be, where have I heard this before? I will not be envious because God has been generous. And you won't look at someone else's reward and be envious 
where God has been generous. God will, will, will know he was incredibly generous to everybody. Lesson number one, there will be an overwhelming sense of equality in eternal life. It doesn't mean there won't be eternal rewards. There will be. But the overwhelming sense is none of us deserve to be here. Yet here we are. Praise God. The second lesson is that eternal life will be much more about God than it is about us. In this story, this parable, the workers, they go through the workday, they forget where they'd come from, and they start to think about what I deserve, what I have earned, what about me, and that's not fair to me. And it's easy to read this story and side with them because it's easy to read this story and think this story is about the workers. It's really not. Jesus is telling a story about a really awesome boss who gives more than people have deserved and earned. Our salvation is not going to be about us either. No one is going to stand up there and, and God, nobody's going to go like up to the, to the help desk in heaven and say, hey, could we reevaluate things here? I'm not sure I've gotten everything that was coming to me. Nobody in heaven's going to ask to get what they've earned. Because all the people who are getting what they earned will be in hell. Nobody is going to, to call up the, you know, I don't know. I remember when I worked at a nuclear plant, there was a help desk line you could call. Right? You could punch these numbers and they'd help you with your computer. Nobody's going to call the help desk in heaven. Say, uh, Lord, uh, if we could just run through my resume for a little while here. You'd say, I was a Christian my whole life. I spent 60 years as a Christian. And Lord, I've got a whole list of sins written down that I never sinned. And a whole list of accomplishments written down that I did. And there's a bunch of other people running around up here that sinned sins I didn't sin and didn't do the good stuff I did. And I'm not saying you can improve upon this, Lord. I know that I'm getting more than I deserve, but I would feel really better if you would send them to, is there like a JV heaven that you could send them to? Because really, God, I mean, if we're going to be honest here, there's, there's going to be none of that. You know why? I don't know how to break this to you, but life right now ain't really about you. And life then ain't going to be about you either. It's, about, it's going to be about the boss who hired us out of this marketplace of the world and gave us far more than we could have ever imagined. The third lesson is that we should not be envious when God is generous. The question that the landowner asked these guys, the ones that were hired first to think about, is a good one to ask ourselves. Do I feel bad? Am I being envious because God has been generous? Boy, that's easy to fall into. It's easy. I, you know, I, I really don't want that person, that Christian fully restored because it feels better to be 
better. I really don't want them on my level in this or that. I would feel better if they didn't have it so good. How many of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer Sunday morning? You prayed this. Your kingdom come. Sorry, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no play. There will be no envy. There's no envy. We're not envious because God is generous. If we really want his kingdom, the stuff to work here, like it works there, that starts here. I'm going to catch myself being envious where God has been generous and remind myself I have more than I deserve. If someone has, else has more than me, they still just have more than they deserve, just like I do. And finally, by way of extension, I didn't know how to word this one succinctly, so stick with me here. Our fourth lesson from the parable, I worded something like this. We don't work to get ahead in this world or the next. As Christians, we shouldn't be working to get ahead in this world. That's not our purpose. We shouldn't be working to get ahead in the next world either. We work out of gratitude for getting hired. We work for the glory of the boss who saved us. Here's why I say this is an important lesson and why I want to end with this one. Remember, it's, it's easy to jump to a bad conclusion with a little bit of information, right? If what Jesus just taught us is true, a Christian who has a deathbed confession Ted Bundy, if he really was a Christian, since I brought him up earlier, right? So the vilest offender who maybe spent 15 minutes of the end of his life as a Christian. If that vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives and gets to go to the same heaven that I get to go to. And I was saved in second grade. Why would I want to spend my whole life working hard if that guy is going to get the same reward as these guys? Why not just waste my days? As Paul said, why not let sin abound? We're all going to get the same reward no matter how hard we work. What's the point? It's not a bad question. I'll answer that question by asking another question. (laughs) Who do you work for? Who do you work for? If the only reason you ever did good things was to impress God so you can get into heaven, if the only reason you do good things as a Christian is so you can have more eternal rewards on your mantle than that sucker that lives next door, If the only reason you do good things is really so that I can get more notice, I can get more, I can get ahead, whether it's material, spiritual, eternal, if it's all about me getting ahead, if that's the real answer, I would be concerned for you. You know why? I'm not real sure you've ever been hired by the real boss. Have you ever gone to work 
for the one who showed up when you were helpless and penniless and, and broken, decrepit, this, this weak, helpless sinner. And he said, listen, why don't you come work for me? You, you're never going to get ahead. You're, you can't work your way into my good graces. You can't be good enough. You can't do it. You're spinning your wheels. You're on the hamster wheel. You're on a treadmill. You're not getting anywhere like that, but I'll save you. I'll rescue you. But then Jesus, he's still working, looking for workers though. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for followers. He doesn't just take us into the vineyard and say, you guys just have time out till you die. He says, you work for me now. You work for something that matters. So we don't work for him to impress him. We work for his glory so that other people know what we know. That we work for the glory of the big boss. He's a great boss. And he's looking for workers. And it doesn't negate anything. Jesus, he's taught us what greatness looks like, chapter 18. He's taught us you'll get paid back way more than you could ever earn. He says, just don't get the wrong idea. It's not like, it's not like God's keeping score and, and there's going to be the graceness and le- leastness in heaven the way we, it's overwhelmingly equal. But who do you work for? We, we have a boss who didn't just like, like come in his old work truck to the center of town and hire some workers and drive back out to the vineyard. He came to earth and he lived a life similar to what we live. And he was tempted in all the ways we are tempted. He lived a perfect life he allowed himself to be destroyed physically under the weight of the wrath of God. To make people like us look like we have his work record. To make us appear righteous before God. And then he sets us free. He gives us that denarius, eternal life. If you look back in there, he told those guys who worked, you take your denarius and go. Go where? Go to work. Tell other people where they can find this gig. It's great work if you can find it. Guess what? People can find it. And where are they know? That other people might come to work for the best boss ever and do everything they do to the glory of the one who hired us and has put us to work tending his vineyard that won't fail, but that we can work in. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, for saving those, us, you know, people that do not deserve to be in your good graces. God, I thank you that you, your judgment will be perfect and fair and just. And how, even though we can't wrap our minds around how everything will work in the judgment, we know you won't make any mistakes. And we know that those of us who have come to believe in Jesus will have eternally more than we ever deserved. God, thanks for saving us and taking us out of the the marketplace. 
and for reminding us that you did that so we'd work, but not work just to get ahead, not work to be more impressive, not work to have more than the next guy, but work for the glory and the good of the boss and his vineyard, your church that you died to save. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.